I'm excited about uh, digging into Second Thessalonians a little bit more with you. We've we've gone through First and Second Thessalonians. We're, we're we're in the last chapter of Second Thessalonians, which is a little bit sad for me because I'm so enjoying it. But um, the good thing is we are really into the meat of it, and um, I really have something simple to share with you tonight. It's probably not anything that you haven't thought of or heard, but it is an encouragement that I, I think we all need to hear, um, and, and a reminder for the church. You know, the church was created by God to function as a body. It's described as a body. It's meant to function as a body. And it doesn't matter how skilled a hand is. If you remove the hand from the body, the hand is useless. It doesn't matter how perceptive the eye is. If you remove the eye from the body, the eye is useless. The scripture says that you can't have one body part saying to the other body part, I have no need of you. That, that's an interesting thought. Because we know, you know, maybe, maybe you've heard this, the phrase, me and Jesus are a majority, right? And I believe that, praise the Lord. There's no power in hell or, or, or on the earth that can stop a believer who knows who they are in Christ. I believe that. But I also believe this, that God did not create us to function just me and Jesus. He created us to function together as a body in Christ. Now, you see, all of this falls apart if the body's not connected to the head, right? We can, just, we can be as uni- unified as we want to be, but if we're not taking orders from the head, who is Christ, then the body doesn't work, right? So we need to be aligned with the head and aligned with one another. And what I want to talk to you tonight is about the power of praying for one another and really praying for people that you might not think need your prayers. Because so many times, we, whether we say it or not, we create a spiritual ranking system where this person is higher than me or, and I'm higher than this person. And the way we've worked it out in our modern culture is that you pray for the people beneath you. Now, first of all, that's kind of a weird understanding of the body, isn't it? Right? Because does the eye say to the ear, you're beneath me? No, I mean, they're, they're different parts, right? And so sometimes, well, we say, okay, but you, you can admit that there are people in the body of Christ that are more mature than other people, right? Yeah, well, we could admit that. And the way we've handled that is, well, if I find somebody that's got something, you know, somebody that's way more mature than me, they need to pray for me because I need help. But throughout the scripture, you have people that you wouldn't think need your prayers are asking for your prayers. I mean, the greatest example I can think of is Jesus in the garden saying, pray. Guys, pray. Now, did they pray? No. <laughs> they fell asleep. But he still asked them to pray. And I don't think, here's, here's something I have to settle right away, because this is going to come up throughout our study tonight. I don't believe that the Word of God commands us to do something just so you can feel like you're doing something. I don't feel like God gives you busy work. You know when you do that for your kids? Like, you know, you're trying to get something done and you want, they're saying, can I help? Can I help? But really they're in the way. So you just give them a little job that doesn't mean anything, but it just keeps them busy. Sometimes I think we think God's doing that for us. He's not. When the word commands us to do something, or when we're asked to do something in the, by, by another believer in the, in the scripture, when, when the apostle Paul says, can you do this? He's not trying to get the church to feel better about themselves. He, he's saying, I need this. When he says pray for me, he says, I need you to pray. 
And we create these spiritual superheroes, especially with a guy like Paul, because most of what we read in the book of Acts is him at the tip of the spear, just pushing ahead into, into darkness, pushing ahead into the jungle with a machete and just hacking away. And, and, and we just go, man, that, that guy, he could do it all. But that's not the picture that he painted. It's not the picture that God paints. In fact, the Apostle Paul said in his letter to the Corinthians that your problem is, is that you've created leaders and preachers that are your favorites and you say, I'm of them, rather than saying, I'm of Christ. And you have elevated, here's what he says, you've elevated some at the expense of others. So by saying, I, I'm, I'm with this guy, this is my guy, Everything he preaches is right. I, I'm going to just do whatever this, you know, this is, you know, we're, we're better because this is our preacher. This is, this is the guy we follow. Rather than being united in Christ, you're creating factions. And he says, in elevating that guy, you've actually put someone else down. So Paul didn't ask for special treatment. And when he went into the world just blazing a trail, sometimes an apostle has to do that. Sometimes a pioneer has to do that. They, they've got to be the first one on the beach. They've got to be the first one through the wall. But it doesn't mean that they're going alone. And if you really were to study the book of Acts, you'd find out that Paul didn't do any of this by himself. Now, first of all, we say, of course, the Holy Spirit. But he also didn't do it just him and the Holy Spirit. There was a body with him and behind him. And here's what he says in, in first, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Finally, brothers... Now, sisters, that includes you too. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord, that the word of the Lord may speed ahead, it says in the ESV. We talked about it last week that in the original Greek, it just literally says that the word of the Lord would run. Pray that the word of the Lord would run and be glorified just as it did also with you. And that we will be rescued from perverse and evil men, for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. Now stop for a minute and just, and just think about that. A lot of times we just figure Paul was in situations where if he was supposed to get out of prison, he got out of prison. If he wasn't, he stayed. But if you really study his letters, he puts a lot of emphasis on whether people are praying for him, whether or not he's going to get free or not. You know, if we, if we start getting this fatalistic mindset that, well, if somebody's supposed to be in prison, they'll be in prison. If they're supposed to get out, they'll get out. Then why in the world would you pray for them? Because what difference does it make? I have friends that are really, you know, they're, they're really into the, the theology that whatever is supposed to happen is, is going to happen and you can't change it. And they'll write books about it. And I say, why are you writing a book? What's the point of writing a book? Because if, it's, if people are going to believe that, then they're going to believe that. If they're going to do what they're going to do. Are you trying to change somebody's mind by writing a book? You know you can't change anything. If it's going to happen, it's going to happen. We, we've got to know that there's a difference between understanding that God is the author and the finisher. That God is above all things. But we have to understand there's a difference between believing that and believing that we have no role to play here, right? I mean, guys, you, you, you know as well as I do that the Bible says, it says very clearly that God is not willing that any should perish. Isn't that right? Now, can anybody tell me, are people going to perish? Yeah. I, I think if you were to study the scripture, even at a surface level, you'd find out people are going to perish. But God isn't willing that they perish. 
So things are happening that aren't God's will, right? Jesus wept over Jerusalem, didn't he? He wept over Jerusalem and said, how I wish I could have gathered you like a hen, mother hen gathers her chicks, but you were not willing. You were not willing. Do you know what he didn't say? God wasn't willing. He didn't say my father wasn't willing. He said you weren't willing. What was Jesus' will? To gather them. What got in the way? Their will. Now, did God know before the beginning of time that they would rebel? Yeah, he did. And that's why, in the, in, that's why the prophets prophesied it. That's why the psalmist talked about it. That's why Isaiah talked about it. Because God knew how Jesus would die. God knew what they would do. He's, 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 he's not walking through time like we're walking through time. He's above it. He's watching it from above. He's, he's in the future, past, present. He's all, he's all in all of it. So he knows what's going to happen. But that doesn't absolve you of your responsibility to obey it doesn't absolve us of our responsibility to do what God's called us to do. It doesn't resolve, absolve us from our own choice that we've got to choose him. And so here, as Jesus drew all men unto himself, some men will come and some men will reject him. The Bible says many are called, but few are chosen. Why are few chosen if many are called? The fact that they're called means God wants them, doesn't it? Many are called. Now, he wouldn't call somebody he didn't want. Right? You don't, <laughs> you don't go down the street and say, hey, hey, you, come here. I hope they don't come here. Like, if you call them, you want them. Many are called, but few are chosen. And the few are chosen has to do with your choice. What do you believe? Right? It's not that he's not calling. If I be lifted up on that cross, I'll draw all men unto myself. Right? All of them. Everybody. So if God is drawing everyone to himself, right? The Bible says you can't be saved unless you're drawn by the Holy Spirit, right? But it also says that he drew everybody. So the Holy Spirit is drawing everyone. Whether we accept it or reject it, that's on us. Does God know? Does God know your destiny? Does God know where you're going? Yeah, he does. But you've got a choice to make. So here we see brethren pray for us that the word would spread rapidly and be glorified. Now, first of all, let's just settle that. We talked about this last week. But he's saying it's going to make a difference how people in a totally different city receive the word. And the difference is going to be your prayers. I, I think my first reaction would be like, don't put that on me. <laughs> that's, that's on you and it's on them. You're the preacher, better preach good. And that's on them, they better listen good. Why are you involving me in this? But he says, pray for us that the word would spread rapidly and be glorified. Do you think it's God's will that the word would spread rapidly and be glorified? This is a real easy question, guys, softball. Yeah, yeah, it's his will. I believe it's his will. So let me ask you another question. Is Paul just putting this in there so the church feels like they're a part of it? No. Does that seem like the nature of God to be deceptive and manipulative? No. If he put this in there... And he said, pray for us. I think, I've got to believe the scripture that says the prayers of a righteous man avail much. You know where that comes from? It comes from James where he says, guys, <laughs> Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed and the earth, it stopped raining for three years. And then he prayed again and it started raining. I mean, he's an old covenant prophet. We're new covenant believers. And Elijah says, hey guys, he wasn't a special guy. He didn't, have spe he didn't have, like, you know, special superpowers. He was a man like us, and he prayed. How much more if you pray in the name of Jesus on this side of the cross? 
Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead, may spread rapidly and be honored, it says in the ESV, but in New American Standard it says, and be glorified as it was with you. Then he goes on and says, says, and that we will be rescued from perverse and evil men. The word perverse literally says improper. It's, it's, it's people who are going the wrong direction. They're, they're in rebellion against God. And he says that we would be rescued from perverse and evil men for not all have faith. But then his next statement is, but the Lord is faithful. What's the prayer here? Pray that God would rescue us. Pray that we would be rescued. Now, how many of you believe that the Lord is your rescuer? Do you believe that? I'm going to show you like 200 scriptures that say that. I mean, like it's all throughout the word. He is the rescuer. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. He is our deliverer, our rescuer. We have to know that our prayers, you see, listen, guys, if we're not praying according to the will of God, is there any point in praying? If it's not according to the will of God, no, because the Bible says when we pray according to his will, he hears us, and if he hears us, we have whatever we've prayed for, right? That's what it says. So it's very important that we pray the will of God. How do you know the will of God? Well, you know, by the word of God, right? And if the word isn't clear on the matter, you know, by the Spirit of God, right? So we pray in the Spirit. The Bible, Paul says, when I don't know how to pray. He doesn't mean like, guys, I forgot how to pray. Do, do I start with Father? You know, do I end with in Jesus' name? He doesn't mean that. He means there are situations where I don't know the right prayer. I've had people that, I mean, like, you know, people with relatives that, that are, you know, really, really old. And they, we think they're ready to go see Jesus. They're born again. And, and, but they're in, a, they're in a state where they can't talk for themselves and, they're, you know, the family's deciding. Are we supposed to pray that they're like, they get better and walk away? Are they supposed to pray that they go see Jesus? I don't know. I mean, they're old enough. They deserve the reward. <laughs> but if they want to stay, I want them to stay. If God wants them to stay. So how do you pray? Well, pray in the Spirit. Because the Bible says when I don't know how to pray, I pray in the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit who knows the perfect will of God prays out the will of God. So there's no point praying if you don't know the will of God. It's okay. The Bible also says it be your will. That's not a bad prayer to pray. You just got to know when to pray it. You don't say if it be your will in situations where he's made his will clear. Because that's double-mindedness, right? When he's made his will clear, I don't I mean, like, come on, what does the Bible say? Lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So when people come up in a prayer line, I don't go, God, if it be your will. I just pray what Jesus told me to pray. I do what Jesus told me to do. I don't change the plan halfway down, half, you know, halfway to the end line here. If he said lay hands on the sick and they'll recover, then I believe I can pray that confidently and believe it's his will. Right? I don't ask. I mean, come on. There's times that I got to ask him if it be your will. I don't know what his will is for me necessarily to do. Like tomorrow I've got a plan. But I also know that God may have a different plan. So it's okay for me to say, Lord, if it be your will, I'm going to head to Ministiquin. But if not, you let me know and let's switch it. But where it is his will is his will that I tell people about Jesus. So I'm not going to say if it be your will, I'll go eventually tell somebody about Jesus. I know that's his will. He said it. So here, do we believe it's the will of God that there's deliverance from evil men? Now, we have to understand that, that Paul is not afraid of persecution. 
He said it so many times. You can't read these letters without knowing that he's not afraid to face a little persecution. In fact, he's the guy that said, he goes, even Jesus told us, if anybody de- desires to live a godly life, you will be persecuted. So he's saying, like, guys, you're not going to get out of that. He tells him, look, I went to preach the gospel to you. I, I got beaten this many times. I got whipped this many times. I, got, I was in the deep. I was, I was in shipwrecks. I was in all this. He says, but, you know, above all that, I've been concerned about you. So this is not a wimp. <laughs> but you know, he also is not a man who is just kind of saying, well, I don't know what's going to happen, case or us or He's seeking out the will of God. Now, now, here's also a guy, let me tell you, here's a guy who actively sought to stay in prison. The Bible tells us he had several opportunities to get out, and he didn't take them. He kept appealing to Caesar when he could have got out. And the reason was because Jesus had told him, you're going to preach before kings. So what's the best way to get in front of Caesar? Just keep appealing to Caesar until they put you in front of him. You may lose your life, but you're going to preach to Caesar. So he just stayed in prison, and he was fine with it. He said, you know, in the Philippians, he said, I want you to know, guys, me being in prison has been the worst thing for the kingdom of darkness because me being in prison has advanced the cause of the gospel because the guards are getting saved, and the people, the people all around them are getting saved. The revival's happening in the prison because I'm here. So he took advantage of his circumstance. But he also says this, I want you to pray that I would be delivered, rescued from evil and perverse men, for not all have faith. So there are some people that are doing evil things, and they're not doing evil things because God made them do evil things. They're doing evil things because they got evil motives. They don't have faith, right? It's not a surprise. You know, Peter says, don't be surprised when this happens. If they did it to Jesus, why wouldn't they do it to you? Jesus said, people hate me, they'll hate you. So he says, the reason they're doing this is they don't have faith. The reason they're perverse and have evil motives is that they don't have faith. But here's your part to play. Pray for me. Now, here's the amazing thing. So many times, listen, if you were in that church in in Thessalonica and, and you knew that Paul was going to dangerous places, how many people would actually believe that they could make a difference in Paul's situation? Because Paul's a superhero, right? But he's not. He's just a guy. He's a born-again believer like you and me. He's part of the body like you and me. The apostle is part of the, the body. He's got a part to play, but so do we. And so he says, brethren, pray for us. And once again, I'm going to say it over and over again tonight. That's not just to make them feel better. That's because the fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much, has a big effect. So if we're going to do the math here, one plus one equals two, then I believe if Paul's asking for their prayers and saying, pray that I'd be delivered from evil men, their prayers might be the difference between him being delivered and him not being delivered. Well, that's a weight on, that's, that's, that's something to think about because we'd love to shirk the responsibility and say, if it's supposed to be, it'll be, but he's putting the emphasis on the prayer. Now look at this. I want to read you something else he said in the book of Romans. Because this is not the only time he said this. In Romans chapter 15, in verse 30, he says, Now I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit. That's, that's a, like a, 
That's pretty hard to say no to after he says that, right? I am urging you. Some translations say, I beg you. But, you know, that sounds kind of wimpy. So I urge you. What does he urge him by? By our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, he doesn't pull that out all the time. He's pulling out the big guns. Guys, I am urging you by our Lord Jesus Christ. He's dropping the big LJC. By the Lord Jesus Christ. He goes on and he says, by the love of the Spirit. In other words, if you are submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ, and if there is any love of the Spirit, you're going to do this. Now, let me just say, you shouldn't play that card too often. (laughs) You play that card like, I I heard you kids, by the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of the Spirit, to clean up the table when you're done. It's going to lose its power. You know, it's going to lose some of its oomph. You're going to be the boy that cried, Lord Jesus Christ, right? You you need to, this is saved for special occasions. He says, I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. It's important to know this, this word strive together, that, that phrase, in, the, in Paul's original language, in Greek, I mean, it wasn't his mother tongue, but it's the language that this letter is written in. In the original language, that term was used in that period of time for wrestling. So that was, that was an athletic term, that strive together. That, that, was, that was a wrestling term, like you're, you're wrestling somebody or something. You're, you're, you're in a match. You're striving. You're wrestling. And so he says, wrestle together with me. Now, Paul's a guy that used athletic. He used athletic imagery all the time. And he says, you know, I don't, I don't run for no reason. I don't run just to participate I run to win he says I don't box just to beat the air I box to I box to win I don't I don't wrestle just so I can say I've wrestled I'm wrestling to win you guys know we talked about this when we talked about Ephesus that that the Bible says extraordinary miracles were happening in Ephesus at the hands of Paul but we talked about the fact that probably the reason extraordinary extraordinary means they weren't normal miracles right well the coolest thing about that is that that (laughs) That kind of implies that some miracles are just ordinary, you know, that they are part of, the, part of life. But he says extraordinary miracles were happening at the hands of Paul. And we talked about the fact that part of the reason that I believe there were extraordinary miracles in Ephesus, in other words, different types of miracles than you'd see other places, was because there was extraordinary opposition and extraordinary demonic activity in that city. Because most of those miracles that took place had to do with demonic oppression. Now, Paul is putting himself into places where the demonic activity, where the human opposition, where the opposition of darkness is so constant and so real that he is humble enough to say, I can't do this without these people praying for me. Now, any one of us in the room would be happy if Paul prayed for us, right? Like if if we could... We could say, name somebody in the Bible besides Jesus that's going to take your prayer request tonight. We'd be like, besides Jesus, Paul, right? (laughs) He'd be on, he'd be one of the tops. You might pick somebody else, but he'd be up there. Now, first of all, we know that when we pray in the name of Jesus, it's Jesus' power that gets it done, not a person's name, right? It's the name of Jesus. So you could have somebody you've never heard of lay their hands on you, and if it's Jesus, it's Jesus that gets it done. 
But I think we'd all be pretty confident if Paul said, I'm praying for you guys. I'm praying for you, Cameron. You'd be like, oh, I'm good. <laughs> Paul's praying for me. I'm doing okay. This is going to turn out pretty good. We, we tend to do this with people we think are doing good. People we think have it together. We're saying, well, you pray for me. But we don't think that we need to pray for them. They got it together. They're doing all right. They're, they're, they're kicking darkness in the teeth. What do they need me for? That's not a biblical, that is not a spiritual way to look at it. Paul says, pray for me. Now, this is not the, like I said, we started in 2 Thessalonians. We backtracked to Romans. Brethren, I urge you by the Lord Jesus Christ, by the love of the Spirit, strive together, wrestle with me in your prayers to God for me. You're not wrestling with God, right? You're wrestling that, that prayer is your way of fighting. That prayer is your way of pressing in. That prayer is your way of overcoming the darkness. And he says, I want you to, you want to fight with me. You want to fight on my side. You want to wrestle with me. Help me wrestle and get this job done. I don't need you to come with me. I don't need you to get on the boat with me because quite frankly, you might be like little John Mark and run away. But I need you to pray for me. I need you to pray for me. I need you to join me in this battle. I need people fighting with me here. And the way you're going to do it is your prayers to God for me. And then he says this, that I might be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea. And that my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints so that I might come to you in joy by the will of God and find refreshing rest in your company. Now may the God of peace be with you all. Amen. This is, a, this is just big for me because both times he's brought this up, he's emphasized that the people who are doing harm to him are not doing it because God told them to do it. They're doing it because they're in rebellion to God, right? He's gone out of his way to point it out. He says the first time that I'd be protected and rescued from perverse and evil men. Here he says that I might be delivered from the hands of, from those who are disobedient in Judea. So the persecution is not God's idea. It's, it's, a, it's, it's opposition to what he's doing. He says they're being disobedient. They're in rebellion. But here's what we do. We're, we're not worried about that. We're not freaking out. We're not running home scared. We're going to fight. And we're going to win. He says, but I can't do this alone. I need you praying with me. I need you to pray with me. I want you to ask yourself, let's just mental exercise. You don't have to yell it out, but just think. Who, right now, at this moment, who, as part of our body, needs to be delivered from the hands of evil people? You might not know them personally. There might be people across the world, on the other side of the world, that are facing persecution. Might be brothers and sisters going into war-torn areas preaching the gospel. And we might just say, well, I don't know what's going on with them. And maybe it's going to happen good. Maybe they're going to, you know, I don't know. But could we say, we're going to fight with you. I might not be with you there. I might not be on the plane with you. I might not be on the boat with you. I might not be in that jungle with you. But I'm going to be praying for you that you would be delivered and rescued. Because I believe that my prayers have an effect. 
Now notice he doesn't just say, he doesn't just ask them. In, in both of these cases, he doesn't just ask them, just pray that I do okay. Pray that the bad men stop. No, he says, pray for me. But before he said that in 2 Thessalonians, he said, pray that the word would run and be glorified. Here he says, pray for me. But then he also says, and pray that my service in Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints. So he's not entirely self-centered. Now listen, we know he's not self-centered because he went wherever God told him to go and he wasn't afraid to do it. It didn't matter what they did to him as long as the gospel got preached. But yet his prayer requests aren't just all about him. He does want, he says, you need to pray that I get delivered here. But he also says, and I want you to pray that the word would run. Anybody here, you guys are familiar with like Reinhard Bonnke, for instance? Evangelists preaching the gospel in, in Africa, seeing signs and wonders, seeing many, many millions of people saved, right? How many of us believe that a guy like that would need someone like us praying for him? Right? You're just like, well, so many people are like, well, no, he seems to be doing fine. Right? But you don't know the kind of opposition that people like that run into. I'm just picking a name there. But you don't know, when they put themselves on the front line, what we see is the victory, we don't see the opposition. And sometimes the opposition is from Christians, right? And what we need to do is say, okay, well, maybe my part is to pray. You know, maybe you don't even agree with everything. Maybe there's people you, you're supposed to pray for. You don't even agree with them on every topic, but they're preaching the gospel. Maybe our part is to pray. Maybe it's important, listen, as, as a pastor, um, you know, I, I get a chance to pray for the, my, my friends, my brothers and sisters in the congregation all the time, but, but you guys know that Tia and I, we need your prayers just as much. We're not, none of us are islands, and none of us have a different passageway to God. We all have the same access route, right? So you got to take responsibility of the people God's connected you with and the people God's told you to pray for and then go ahead and believe. And don't feel like you're being arrogant. You are being, you're, you're putting emphasis on the name of Jesus. You are putting power. You're believing in the power of the blood of Jesus when you say my prayers are making a difference. And somebody might say to you, who do you think you are? You're just a little somebody from Lloyd. Who do you, you think your prayers are making a difference? Look, look at that, that guy's way over there doing all this stuff. You think your prayers are making a difference? Yes, your prayers are making a difference. And to say they're not is to dishonor the name of Jesus. And to say they're not is to dishonor the blood of Jesus. Because if we believe that our prayers are in the name of Jesus, then I believe my prayers have the same power as the, as the biggest preacher in the world, as the, as the, as the most, most well-written author in the world. Because he's not praying in his name. She's not praying in her name. We're praying in Jesus' name. So the authority is not coming from me. It's coming from him. But we can't get around the power of many praying for one. There's a story in the book of Acts that shook. This was one of the major um, events in the book of Acts that shook the church because they were rolling. I mean, think about it, guys. We've talked about this before, but they were in Jerusalem, the city that they were afraid to go to just a few weeks before. And they were right to, I mean, like, they kind of had a right to be afraid because their fears came true. They said, remember what they said? You know, when Lazarus was dying, they said, God, Jesus, if we go to Bethany, which is just a suburb of Jerusalem, if we go to Bethany, we're all going to die. And you know what happened when they went to Bethany? That's the, just a week and a half later. Jesus died. 
They weren't wrong. They were just wrong about what God's purpose was. It was a dangerous place. Of course, Jesus had been to Jerusalem before, and if he wanted to go, he could have left, right? They tried to throw him off a cliff in his hometown. He walked through the crowd in Jerusalem. They were trying to kill him one whole holiday. He's just, he's there for the feast, and nobody can find him until he shows up, and then he, he gets away again. Like, he, he didn't die until he wanted to go, right? But the disciples were so afraid of Jerusalem, they wouldn't even go near it until the resurrection. In fact, they, they probably were locked up near Jerusalem during and before, like after the crucifixion and before the resurrection, but they were hiding out. But after the resurrection, Jesus spent those days with them, spent that time with them, and then promised them the Spirit. And they waited in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit. When they got the Holy Spirit, when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they stood up in public in that city, the city they were afraid to be in, the city they were afraid to go near. They stood up in public and preached the gospel. And 3,000 were born again. They saw revival on a massive scale, right? And then persecution started to happen. The pushback started. I mean, they had already seen persecution, right? They'd, they'd been beaten. They'd been threatened. But for, there was one time they were all rounded up and thrown in prison, and then an angel let them loose, and they all walked out and then just started preaching again. But then something happened that shook them. James was arrested. James being one of the leaders, not the only leader, but one of them. And James had his head cut off. And I'm sure they were shocked by that because they'd been in situations where they were so close to death and they got out of it. And then James dies. Herod saw that this pleased the people of Jerusalem. So he arrested Peter. Herod was going one by one down the leaders of the church taking out who he thought. I mean, really, we knew that the 12 didn't have that hierarchy that Herod thought, but he thought he took out James the most important, then he thought Peter was next. And he says he arrested Peter and intended to do the same to him, and he put him in prison. Then there's this phrase right there. He says, but he put him in prison, but the church was praying fervently for Peter. That's so important. He doesn't say, but it wasn't Peter's time to go. Look, I can't tell you why James died. You want an answer? You want to ask me why James died? I can't tell you because you know what? God didn't tell us. You can ask Jesus. Maybe, he, maybe James knows. Someday when you get to see James, go, hey, dude, why'd you die? I don't know the answer to that. I can't tell you that, but I can tell you, I know, I believe I know why Peter didn't die. Was it God's will for Peter to die? No. But what does the Bible say happened that changed it? Peter was in prison, but the church was praying fervently for Peter. And you guys know the story. Because of the prayers of the saints, an angel showed up in Peter's cell, let him go. Did God have a mission for Peter? Yeah. Did God have a plan for Peter? Yeah. Do I know what would have happened if the church didn't pray? No, I can't tell you beyond a shadow of doubt that I know that. But I do know that the Bible goes out of its way to say, but Peter was in prison and he was going to get executed. But, but the church was praying. I mean, do you think that the church is praying and God's like, that's cute, guys, but it really doesn't matter. I already got a plan here. Do you think that that's the case? No. Do we believe the Bible? Listen, if you're going to say it doesn't matter if we pray or not, then, then that's fine. But you and I can't say we're reading the Bible. 
Because the New Testament tells us that there's power in our prayers. If you believe there's power in our prayers, then you believe there's a lack of power when you're not praying. Am I right? Right? I mean, if there's power in our prayers, then you got to flip it around and say, if I'm not praying, something might not happen that should have happened. We know we can't pray against the will of God. But come on, guys. Sometimes the will of God requires the people of God. In fact, almost always it does. God uses people. Philippians, Paul says this. He goes, he's, he's talking about himself being in prison. He says it's turned out for the good, the, the, it's turned out better for the gospel. People, you know, me being in prison hasn't been a terrible thing. People are getting saved. And he goes, there's people that are preaching now that were afraid to preach before because they were afraid if I preach, I get thrown in prison. And by me getting thrown in prison, they said, oh, I guess that's not a bad thing. And they started preaching. So he said, that's good. But then he says this, because you guys know he has this little conversation where he's deciding, should I stay or should I go? He's actually deciding, like, I don't know if I want to stay or I don't want to go. And then he seems to make up his mind, like mid-letter. Then he says, I know that this will turn out for my deliverance by your prayers and by the provision of the Holy Spirit. Wow. Wow. I know that I'm going to be delivered. Why? Because you're praying and because of the provision of the Holy Spirit. That's an amazing thought. He put weight on their prayer. I know I'll be delivered because you guys are praying for me. Listen, we got to take this serious. We have a role. You're fighting. You're, You're part of the war here. You're part of the battle. And just because you might say, well, I don't feel like I'm in the front line. I feel like it's pretty safe. I feel like I'm in a position where, where um, you know, people aren't trying to kill me and, and people aren't trying to throw me in prison. But there's somebody that, that that's exactly what's going on. And they would say, if they could write you a letter right now and knew who you were, I'm sure they'd say the same thing. Hey, pray for me that I'd be delivered from the hands of evil men, that I'd be rescued. I know there are people that lay their life down willingly, right? I know that. Hey, I mean, I'm willing to go. I'm willing to die for Jesus. But there's also a time where you say, I still got a mission. And I'm not going to leave before my mission is done. If I die as an old man, cool. If I die, uh, if I, if I die somebody chop my head off at, at a certain time, that's fine too. But as long as I'm doing the will of God and finish my job, right? I'm not leaving before I finish my course. I'll tell you that. And the difference might be whether someone's praying. I'll tell you a quick story. There's a guy in the room right now who went with my dad to the Philippines in 1989. So, Brother Doug, correct me if I get any of the facts wrong. Because I was like seven, right? So my memory is f- fuzzy. But I, I seem to remember the story going like this. They were there in the midst of a rebellion. Um, and they were in Mindanao. Mindanao certainly wasn't safe, right? I mean, they saw miracles and stuff, but they also saw machine guns and stuff, right? Then they get back to Manila. Manila's where the rebellion's going on. They're in the Hotel Intercontinental in Manila, right? And uh, on their way to the airport, they go to the airport, can't get on the plane. I don't know if it was overbooked. Do you remember? They weren't leaving. Missed the plane from the island. Okay, so that's why. Waiting. And you were going to go back to the hotel? But the Spirit said no, right? Spirit says no. Get on a plane. And my dad, you have to know my dad. My mom is the bulldog that fights for the flight. 
if you ever miss your plane, get my mom on your side. She'll fight for you. My dad, he's okay with waiting. Dad was pretty chill about that. You know, I, I, was, I spent an extra day in Manila with my dad. We went and saw some sights. You know, it was fun for us. And we weren't too busted up about it. But the Holy Spirit said that Doug and Dad were supposed to stay, or supposed to get on a plane. Hotel Intercontinental, they could have gone back, got a room for another night, could have done all that. Spirit said get on the plane, so they did. But we find out the next day that hotel is taken over by rebels, and everybody in that hotel is taken hostage. So you might say, well, <laughs> que sera, sera. But if somebody wasn't listening to the Spirit of God at that point, they might have been one of those hostages. They might not have lived. At least they would have missed Christmas. And I was seven, and I wanted my dad home. But I'll tell you what was happening during that time. There was a whole church of people, plus, praying for them back in Lloydminster. And I've been in situations where I've been in dangerous places. And, you know, you could feel a shift. I felt a shift and looked at my clock and said, it's, it's 7.30 Wednesday night in Lloydminster. They're praying for us right now, and we can tell. Because somebody said, hey, well, you know, we could sit at home and go, well, I didn't get to go. I guess I was so one of these days they're going to ask me to go. Or we could say, I'm going to fight with them. I'm going to strive together with them right now by my prayers to God for them. I want you to ask yourself tonight. This is what I want to ask you. I want you first to believe this. My prayers are powerful through the name of Jesus. Can you believe that? Do you believe? I mean, like my prayers have an effect. Don't fall into the trap of saying it doesn't matter what you do. It's just going to happen the way it's going to happen. Believe what the Bible says, which is the prayer of a righteous person changes things. Now start there and say, what battles am I fighting right now? I've said this to you a dozen times already, but too often, if somebody were to tell us, hey, I'm in a battle right now, we assume they're being attacked, right? You know, guys, I'm really in a battle. Oh, no, what happened? Why? Because we become defensive Christians. But, you know, we got to every now and then go and say, hey, we got to take some ground. The Lord's sending us into battle. So, I mean, it might be okay for you to say, hey, I'm in a battle right now. Oh, no, what happened? Oh, nothing happened. I'm just going to decide to go kick the devil's butt a little bit. I just, I just decided to go take some ground for Jesus. I'm just fighting. I'm choosing to get in on the battle. Somebody's fighting. There are people on the front lines right now. You're on the front lines right now. And we need to be praying for one another. There's a church that's being persecuted all over the world. They're part of us. The Bible says when one part of the body hurts, we all hurt. And you know the gospel is not being crushed. The gospel is not being destroyed. It's flourishing because you can't crush the gospel. You can't snuff it out by persecution. It doesn't work. But does that mean you shouldn't be praying for them? No. Hold them up in your prayers. Fight for them. Fight for those who are going. Fight for guys like Mark Davey who are going into war-torn countries preaching the word, of the, God, the word of God, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Fight for them with your prayers. Fight with them. You want to be, you want to fight side by side with somebody that's doing, you know, doing their job and doing the business? Then, then, then start praying. And never think someone's too big to need your prayers. Jesus wasn't too big. Paul wasn't too big. Peter wasn't too big. Come on, I just named... Jesus and two all-stars, <laughs> right? If they needed your prayer, I bet, and I can't think of anybody on the planet that doesn't. 
Your prayers change things. Fight together with us with your prayers to God for us. Amen? So here's homework. I want you this week. Look, it's good. The Bible says bring your needs to the Lord, right? It's good that you're praying about your needs. God wants to meet those needs. God wants to take care of you. He wants his peace to cover you. But you shouldn't be so self-consumed in your prayer that you're not thinking about other things, that you're not praying out the will of God beyond yourself. So homework is this. And I, I can't make you do this, but I want you to do this. I want you to consider who can I, and seek the Lord, ask the Lord about this. Who can I be praying for that needs my prayer right now? Second question is this. Who can I be praying for that might need to be delivered from some bad circumstances? Are there persecuted Christians out there? Are there, are there people putting their lives on the line for the gospel that need people like me praying for them? And I want you to believe that God's going to use that prayer to do something. They may never know you ever prayed for them, but they'll know someday. And the king knows, right? Amen? That matters. It matters. Let's stand up and let's just pray right now.